You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The Archegos liquidation, new stimulus affecting treasuries, and then Ethereum and NFT. It's TG Tuesday. Welcome, Tony Greer. Ash Bennington, how are you today, man? I'm doing great. So this is really an interesting one because I've basically been down the crypto rabbit hole since last week uh, with the crypto gathering, uh, an institutional accredited investor uh, crypto gathering day yesterday. So this is my first day back uh, for a while. I know I've missed a ton. What's going on? Oh, man. Are you kidding me? I love it. I love that I get to update you for, for change, Ash. You know what I mean? I mean, this is like walking into the, you know, 40 minutes into Pulp Fiction and saying, what's going on here? Right? <laughs> literally, literally. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot to catch up on. But to start, you know, the Archegos capital blow up, you know, Bill Wang, the one of the Tiger Cubs in Asia, who's been a manager down there for years, uh, obviously, hits a large margin call that seemed to have been activated by four broker dealers, sort of mysteriously prime brokering the risk together, which is one of the things that I've sort of never heard about in this, um, you know, in a scenario like this before, where you've got Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Nomura, and um, Credit Suisse, all with the same overtly, obviously. Um, you know, coming apart risk on their books, they're going to have margin calls on their clients, and they are all colluding apparently on the information, which is nothing that I've ever heard before. And then Goldman Sachs goes ahead and puts the flow out on an email in the morning and sets the whole avalanche in motion. Next thing you know, we've got somewhere between, you know, 100 and $120 billion of capital incinerated from, you know, leverage blow up of Bill Wang. So, um, you know, we saw the moves that it caused Ash. If you look at some of the stocks, I'll, I'll give you the tickers, but like names like Disgay and Tencent um, Entertainment and Baidu, um, BIDU and VIP Shop Holdings, some of these stocks have got divots in them like you've never seen before. And this is what happens when there are four prime brokerages trying to escape through a keyhole. So, you know, the damage that is being caused by, um, the blow up is sort of rippling outward now throughout the markets. And I, I don't know that the markets are going to swallow this one up and keep going. Right. It's, it's, it's just, uh, it's stand out to me that since the Archegas blow up, the rotation is totally broken. We have no clean rotation anymore. Like we were in for both sort of six month sessions of the last year coming out of lockdown. You know, first we were in the lockdown rotation, then we were in a reopening rotation, and now we are in a shotgun scatter rotation, which I think speaks to a lot of the street still manning the risk from this blow up. So, Tony, I've been following this at the 50,000 foot level because it really is an interesting story. Here's my question for you. If we've seen 120 or $130 billion get incinerated uh, and you've seen these massive declines uh, in some of the stocks that were affected, uh, that were held by Mr. Wang, 
Why are broader markets shaking it off? Well, you know, they they aren't really shaking it off because, like I said, if you look into the individual names, they are literally the charts are broken, right? They've come right. apart. You see right. the charts that have had extended rallies and then hockey sticks lower. So within those sectors now, you're having, you know, the ETFs all adjust to the action and you're having ripple effects caused by, you know, what's happening to the peer groups. So the market's trying to figure this out in the in the meantime. We've got other macro gyrations that are taking place right over this blow up ash, you know, which is which is significant. Yeah. So but but why do we see, for example, the broader index is basically flat. VIX still under 20 as we record this. It doesn't seem like there's this sort of broader sense of contagion or even a wall of worry that needs to be climbed. It's fascinating. No, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of that is the the macro gyrations that are taking right. place. They're sort of washing over the blow up at at the time. But when you know you start to see different type when you see a different landmine in a different sector hmm. every day and then we wind up having a huge levered blow up when the market is at the highs you know to me that's just a signal that there's something underneath the hood that's not working properly right, right. we've seen these, you know we've seen some of these massive dollar moves right and it, this is something that is is sort of discussed I, I won't say it's not discussed enough but you know the dollar index now up through the 200 day moving average is significant being driven by dollar yen at 110 all of a sudden right that that is the sound of sort of liquidation to me this move is a really one line move and it feels like a lot of risk is getting out of the way so maybe we've got a lot of dollar short covering against dollar yen right now but whatever it is the dollar strength continues right so we think that would cause some headwinds to the commodity markets but the commodity markets are still running on this Biden infrastructure stimulus inflation story, right? right? And if you if you notice, even with the dollar index up four percent on the year, where it roughly is right now, through all the moving averages that we consider the major moving averages, you've got the Bloomberg Commodity Index has only backed off five percent off of its highs. You still right. got six. You've still got sixty dollar oil. You've still got $9,000 copper on the LME I'm talking about, and aluminum continues to make new highs, right? So while we've got this strong dollar, you would think the commodity index would, the commodity space would be backing off, but the commodity space remains strong. Right. Why? I think that lends itself to the Biden infrastructure story. There's a story out this morning on Business Insider, I think it was quoting the Washington Post, but that Biden added another trillion to the infrastructure or plans to add another trillion to the three trillion infrastructure bill. So now, you know, we're getting into this habit of everything being, you know, solved with more stimulus. We're, we're, we're in a phase now where we're adding more stimulus as we go to sign the last the next stimulus bill. And so I think the markets are interpreting that as inflationary, and that's why commodities won't back off, and that's why treasuries are now trading very heavily with yields testing new highs for the move. So that's what we've got going on, Ash. Tell me where we need to drill down into and we can go from there. Well, my first question is, uh, can you use more stimulus to solve the problem of too much stimulus? Well, it seems like that's what we're doing. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the market, we're, we're already going into a reopening recovery. And, you know, Joe Biden is throwing flames on the fire with a humongous infrastructure stimulus bill 
more checks scheduled to go out for COVID relief. And I think the bond market is getting a little bit itchy, right? The bond market is saying, you know, okay, well, if all of this money is getting put in motion, then it's got to be inflationary at some point, thus the move in yields that we're still experiencing, right? That's That to me is the big overlay. And while the S&P is still fairly close to the highs, we are seeing signs of technology coming off with the rotation. We are seeing sectors like cannabis come well off the highs with this rotation. So there's some speculative money that's getting washed out of the market for sure, right? We've got Kathy Wood's ARK Invest, which you know just took a backseat to the Archegos blow up, but that's been under the microscope and something that people are watching because she's got a lot of technology on and she's having suffering some pretty big drawdowns as her ETF pulls back from the highs, her innovation ETF. So, you know, it just feels to me like we've got these bubbly, bubbly risks underneath the market that haven't given way to the rise in interest rates yet. But it feels to me like the bond market still wants to test them because there's been no signs that this move in yields is turning back lower the other way. So I know there's yeah. a lot to unpack there, yeah. but I, this is this is the only way that I can put it together in a coherent um, you know, macro comment, if that's fair. Yeah, maybe the problem, Tony, is trying to put it together coherently. You basically have all these forces moving in different directions. It's a really weird macro setup. Yeah, and then you throw the blow up on top of it. You throw, you know, a couple of different scenarios on top of it with, uh, excuse me, the global macro scenario on top of it, right? The Suez Canal was the top of, topic of discussion for about a week, but a significant blockage in global shipping traffic, right? They handle about a third of global shipping container traffic on any given day. So that is likely to cause some buildups and some um, issues. And then you've got the overlay of China going into Taiwan and the U.S. potentially going back into Afghanistan and all of the stuff. It just seems like the world is shaking up a little bit to me. And I won't say that the bull market is ending or is over or anything like that. I'm saying that when I look at the tape and I look at the world, I'm a little bit more comfortable in a little bit more cash than I was two months ago, a month ago, a week ago, if that's fair to say. Yeah. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I don't want to be a bond market bro and say that imply that it sort of predicts everything, but uh, UST 10. Uh, 173 bips right now. What does that mean, uh, if anything, in relation to all of that sort of crosstalk? It means a lot to me, Ash. It means everything to me. In fact, you know, you guys have heard me drone on about the February 25th Five Sigma Daisy Cutter in the bond market, where the bond market had a Five Sigma free fall, right? What's fascinating to me is that on that day, the yield, the high in yields were 1.6%. And as yields trudged higher, and then backed off the highs, they never got lower than that price again. They never really traded lower than 1.6%. So that daisy cutter put a stake in the ground for me and gives me something to lean on saying, okay, yields are likely to stay higher than that price for a while. So now we're looking for the top of the range, Ash. And as we pry closer to the top of the range, I think it gives that access to capital story getting tightening up a little bit. And those are usually the things that sort of take a lot of the leveraged wind out of the highly speculative markets. 
And it feels like right now that a lot of the hot money is still in technology. You know, we're going to get to the NFT sector, which I think sort of dovetails with that, uh, where everything is focused on Bitcoin and futuristic technology, NFT, everything like that is coming into play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's wildly relevant. You know, the market, one of the reasons the market isn't backing off, Ash, just to add, you know, to, to that conversation a little bit, you know, we've got sectors like the home building sector that Ed Harrison asked me to touch base on today. And I thought it's really relevant because, you know, this is one of the markets that's sort of shrugging everything off. Right. It's, it's shrugging off higher yields. It's shrugging off, you know, um, a rise in mortgage rates. XHB went up all four weeks in March so far, and it's up about 20% on the year. A lot of this has to do with, you know, when we get the existing and new home sales data, which we just got and was a slight miss, Underneath the hood of the headline data, you see things like existing home inventories off 32% from last year. Right. And you see existing home sales up 18, 16% from last year. Case Schiller comes out and says U.S. home prices in 20 major cities are up 11% year over year. And this is something that they've never seen before. So when you've got underlying bull markets like that on the sort of industrial side of the economy that are firing away, I think that helps dovetail with the strong commodity basic material story and sort of helps keep the tape afloat up here while the tech sectors are sort of rotating a little bit lower, if that's fair to say. Yeah, that does make sense. In fact, I think it's very well said. Uh, you were talking earlier about having to put together a coherent narrative. It reminds me of, I think, the Mark Twain uh, quote, of course, truth is stranger than fiction. Fiction has to make sense. Uh, this is the challenge of trying to understand what's happening right now. When I hear you sort of spinning out that narrative and explaining what's happening, uh, basically uh, what I hear uh, is a story of divergence, of breakdown and correlation, uh, and in, in just this weird siloing and fragmentation of these markets. That's a great observation, Ash. That's exactly what's going on. You know, it, it, the rotation has become violent and it is causing the sectors that are just backing off minimally to uncover large levered positions. And those are the landmines that are going off, right? So what people fail to realize, I think, is that those take some time to filter out for the market to digest all of that and for all of that risk to get re-displaced out onto the street and into a sort of level that everybody's comfortable with again. But what you're seeing clearly is, you know, in some places, one levered stop loss into another and they seem fairly concentrated for now, but that's what goes into the beginning of breaking a strong bull cycle. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying that it's going to break a strong bull cycle permanently. I just feel like the forces of sort of, you know, uh, high interest rate versus high risk are working against each other right now. And I'd rather be in some other assets than all in equities right here at this point. You know, just trying to be careful. And, you know, we, we may wade right through this and get marching on the bull and get the S&P pounding away north of 4K again soon. But it's still one of those times that I'm more comfortable with a little bit more cash in the portfolio, a little bit right. more money in gold, a little bit less, you know, loaded to the gills in energy and materials positions, less loaded to the gills in cannabis. In fact, I tapped out of a, a trading cannabis position today because of the scary chart pattern in MSOS. Um, mm. I remain a secular bull, but if something's going to pull back 10 or 15 percent, I really don't want to wear that right now. Right. 
You know, Tony, this brings up a great question in the specific in terms of what's happening right now, but also in the more general. When you look to be moving into a potential, potential transition period, when it seems as though the regime may be shifting one way or the other, how do you weight that in your mind when you have indicators uh, that are pushing in both directions? And what are you looking at right now to understand whether or not we are in a regime shift? Man, that's a that, that is a great loaded question. You know, there with with all of this going on, there is a lot to keep an eye on, right? I'm sticking to my knitting with focusing in on yields because it's been good to me from noticing the change in direction in yields, right? So since noticing yields going higher has been working for me, I thought that they would go higher, driven by the commodity rallies that were revealing themselves really early as we came out of lockdown. So I've had the commodity side right. I'm trying to follow the bond market now and let it lead me to the sort of next episode, if you will, for stocks. And I feel like it's coming out in chapter one saying, okay, the episode says rates are higher. We just blew up another hedge fund. And you know, when I see things like that, it's like, okay, now, honestly, what am I on the lookout for? More bodies floating to the surface that this tiger cub may have knocked its levered risk into. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a potential, you know, sort of black eye from one of the companies that was handling the risk, one of the four prime brokerages. That's probably going to be something that may either put a dent on the financial sector or at least maybe cause the SEC to wake up and start looking at things in the financial sector. So there's so much to watch, but I'm not taking my eye off the bond market. I, I really want to see where the bond market yields top out here. I want to make sure the curves stay intact, and I've got to watch the dollar really closely to make sure that it doesn't turn into a real upside wrecking ball. It's through some of my technical levels now, which I'm not really thrilled about, but I don't have a dollar position. I'm using it as an odometer against my commodities positions, which are not really showing signs of weakness. So I'm kind of watching all of those relationships, Ash, for when they change. If at some point, for example, the dollar gets going again and commodities really take a hit, That'll cause me to probably liquidate some of the length I have in that sector, and we'll kind of take it one day at a time there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting here, you and I, between the two of us, have been watching markets for decades and decades now. Uh, and this may all blow over. We may find ourselves uh, two weeks from now saying that that was just a, a minor little uh, twick on the chart and it wasn't a big deal and nobody cares. But one of the interesting things for me is when you look back at the history of crises, things that have happened, uh, you look at 2008, 2009, markets always shrug off. There's a little bit of a, there's a, little bit of a blip, right? And then markets shrug it off and then the story goes away for maybe a couple of hours, maybe a couple of days, maybe a week or two, and then it comes back. Now, that may not be the case here. This may just be a plain uh, vanilla, very isolated case uh, with no contagion risk whatsoever, and we just move forward. But it's worth pointing out that when bad things do happen in markets, you tend to not see a direct linear chain of events where things unfold very quickly. Exactly, Ash. And we, we're in that period that you just highlighted after the blow up of a day right. or two, a week or two. So, you know, in within this storm, we're going to go through a few eyes of the storm where right. it's very calm, like you said. And then we're going to look around very carefully looking for bodies to pop up, right. um, whether whether they be another entire fund, whether they just be, you know, a certain sector ETF that, you know, has a big issue with interest rates going higher, whether it's momentum or ARC or something like that, that could be the case. But right. it, it historically, 
if we pay attention to the blowups that have come across the tape, long-term capital, things like that, those yep. took a little time to filter through right. the markets. I'm not saying this is that kind of systemic deal, although, you know, in capital terms, it's not that far off in size, but the market can handle a lot more now because of the size of the market and the broader participation of the market. So, yeah. you know, this is going to be a tightrope walk, but we're going to have to see how the bond market shakes out and whether this technology sector can hold up with as many blowups in it as we're seeing. Uh, Tony, as I'm sure you remember the uh, story of, oh, these are just some isolated hedge funds at Bear. It's not the main bank. This is off balance sheet. This is isolated. It's firewalled. Now, again, again, not saying that's the case here. This may be something that's perfectly benign and perfectly isolated. The point is that when it's not benign and isolated and you get a lot of false positive, there's a lot of times you're looking for the bodies to come up and the bodies don't rise to the surface because everything is fine. But when there is a problem, there is a lag. And that there is this like this weird spacing, this weird nonlinear chain of events. So let's talk about what do you think's going on in the lag now, Ash? Right? What's happening in the lag in between right now is there's a lot of communication between broker dealers and mutual funds and hedge funds. And now imagine you're a hedge fund that has a large position in one of the Archegos names. And, you know, you participated in, in it through the volatility, but you're still long the name. And now you've got people coming and shopping the flow of the name back to you, as in we're a huge seller of this. Right. So now those funds are going through the machinations of making the decisions like, OK, we're still in this name. Do we want to buy this piece of flow that is being put in front of us here, which maybe will clean up the seller? Or is there an avalanche behind that? And we do want to get, right. we, you know, are we stepping in front of a waterfall? So, you know, I think right. as those those decisions disseminate through the trading desks and positions are adjusted accordingly, I think that's when you'll start to see the next body float to the surface. And like we said, in the, in the form of just some kind of a volatile episode, let's call right. it, for the stock market. Or not, as the case. Or may not. Or not exactly. Right. We we this is a, a you know a work in progress, as we say. Right. But the important point, and I think you've been so eloquent on this, is you're just explaining the process as it happens and understanding what folks are looking for when they're making those decisions. Exactly. Exactly. Every every everybody I talk to now is very focused on who's getting out of those positions and when, and so you know that'll that'll start to filter out as uh, as into the price action before week unfolds. And we got to consider now, Ash, this week. You know, this is the week after the blow up that the market is trying to digest the Archegos blow up volatility, you know, which, like you said, has not been a dramatic move to volatility. But we've got month end tomorrow, quarter end tomorrow, and then Friday, the end of the week, where, you know, the market is still going to be able to digest all of these month end quarter end moves that take place tomorrow. So. You know, I am really hit on a swivel for the next couple of days and into the end of the week because I think by Friday we'll finally be able to sort of connect some dots and draw some performance circles around, you know, what got hit and what survived. And then that'll lead us to, uh, you know, our next step of the way into how to play this. And then we'll know digestion or indigestion. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure, man. By the way, and for people who aren't fixating on this, the other thing that people are fixating on right now, of course, 
is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Tony, I've got to show you this. Take a look at this image. Uh, this is an NFT uh, that uh, one of our subscribers, John Amatuli, uh, made of me uh, from the CryptoGravity. It's the first time I've ever been NFT. And what you're seeing here is, of course, uh, that's the red mic. The red mic you can see right here. Uh, and I was saying on, on, on this uh, one of the shows that I'm aggressively neutral in my outlook about which of the standards in the crypto space uh, is going to uh, is going to be the one or ones that take off. Uh, and so what he did was he made this like kind of cool meme. By the way, I I was never that jacked, even at my fittest. So I'll that was my it. next question. Are you yeah. that jacked? Ash? Come never on. that, never that jacked. He put my head on that body. Uh, and thank you for that, John. But what he did was he took this NFT and he put it up on a website, uh, one of these marketplace websites uh, called Open C. And you can take a look. This screenshot here uh, will show you what you look at when you look at the auction. And basically, this is a sale that expires uh, in three days, April 2nd. Uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern time, you can see the top bid on my token right now is about 31 bucks in dollars, spot 017 in ETH. Uh, and you can see the offers underneath that are the bids that have already been placed. And it's it's fun. It, it's a really fun thing to to walk through. And so so right now, and this is this is kind of an interesting thing. One of the things that I've I've thought a lot about and I've debated uh, about myself is whether or not I can own these assets if I'm covering them. Right? Like the traditional thing was you're a reporter at CNBC, you don't own any stocks. Maybe you you own an S and P 500 index fund or something, but you never own individual names. And the reality is, it's basically impossible to cover this space uh, if you don't own some, even a de minimis position in these things. Because one of the things that I think is like this classic thing that we human beings do is we try and make up metaphors for things where we extend things that we understand to things that we don't. The reality is these aren't stocks. These are functional things, functional tokens that have utility. And in order to experience this ecosystem uh, and, to, and to really experience the way this works, you have to actually own the underlying coins. You have to own the tokens. Otherwise, you can't participate. You can't even play around with them. And that's really what this is about. So I'd owned a, a small position, a minuscule position in GBTC, mostly so people didn't make fun of me uh, for not owning Bitcoin, for not having any exposure to Bitcoin where I covered the space. Uh, but I bought over the weekend like 100 bucks of uh, Bitcoin uh, and 100 bucks of Ethereum, just so I could actually go out there and do some of these things, interact on the chain with real, uh, with real uh, tokens. And one of the things How's it feel? Really, uh, fantastic, fascinating, and I've got so many insights that I wanted to talk to you about it because it's been such an incredible like learning experience for me. So first of all, one of the things that I learned is, so I, I signed up with one of the major brokerage accounts, I won't say the name, but you, you basically get the picture. Uh, and you know, I, I ACH'd in a couple of hundred bucks, uh, I bought the coins, and now I go, great, I want to transfer them out. Oh, no, no, that's not the way it works. So, so what winds up happening, I buy 100 bucks of Ethereum, 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin, minus the fees. And, uh, and I try and transfer the coins out. Yesterday, I bought them over the weekend. Uh, I only had about like 22 bucks in my account. Now, 22 bucks is underneath, it's in the actual Ethereum wallet. So you, you set up a wallet, uh, something called a wallet for Ethereum. MetaMask is the big one. I set up a MetaMask wallet. Uh, and in order to do that, um, what you do is you have to transfer over actual live Ethereum. Uh, I can't get access to it. I'm still waiting for the funds to clear. So right now I got 20 some odd bucks uh, in the in the Ethereum wallet. The minimum reserve bid is 3119. I can't bid. So so what do I do? I text Sebastian Munjava, 
my colleague over here at Real Vision, who is much more into the Ethereum side uh, than I am. And I sent him a text message and say, can you send me a hundred bucks? I'll Venmo you the money. And he says, actually, I'm out. I'm traveling right now. My wallets are in cold storage. That means they're offline. They're safe. And he says, but my buddy can get them to you and give you a hundred bucks. I said, great. I'll send him $120 in Venmo. He'll transfer the hundred dollars worth of Ethereum into my wallet. I copy and paste my Ethereum address. So here are the two big takeaways from this process. Number one, it's incredibly fun and it's incredibly cool. It feels like you're actually in the network, right? There's this sense that you get, and it's something that I know it sounds a little bit like hokey, but it's hard to describe and you just can't get it from reading about it. You have to experience it. It's the feeling of participating in the network on a level playing field with everyone else in the world. You've got an Ethereum wallet, and obviously I don't have billions of dollars in it like Vitalik Buterin does, but you are a peer, you're an equal participant. You know, When you go into a bank and you you go to transfer uh, you know, a Fedwire, for example, you know, you get that feeling where they're, they're looking you over and trying to, make, I mean, there's none of that. It's that you are really a peer on this network. So it's a really cool, really fun feeling. Uh, and the second thing that you realize is that, listen, this is very, very early in the space. I'm copying over my wallet address, and if I goof it, if I fat finger it, if I mess up one character, that you know, $120 is just gone forever, never to be seen uh, again by me, never to be retrieved. And you realize it's 120 bucks, I'd be pretty ticked off if I lost it. But if you're buying a car, if you're putting some significant money uh, value at risk in one of these transactions, it's, a, it's an edgy, experience to do it. So the feeling is, and I'm going to show a real quick a screenshot here, which actually shows this transaction ID. This is the, uh, we've got some of the, the material masked out here uh, to protect uh, the privacy. I would have put my information up there, but mostly to protect the privacy of the guy who is nice enough to send me uh, this hundred bucks worth of Ethereum. Um, so that's the actual transaction that you can see that's live on the blockchain right now. Um, and, you know, if it were if it were twenty grand, man, I would be shaking and sweating. This is a, a thing that really feels like, boy, it's an edgy experience when you jump in for it. But anyway, Tony, I would encourage you to jump on and uh, get one of these Ethereum wallets, buy a tiny amount of it, and just start playing around with it. You really don't have a sense of what this space is about until you physically do it. Now, I know I can say I just did this twenty four hours ago, and you know, welcome to the party, pal. But it really is a different kind of sensation, a different kind of experience. It's a tactile thing. Once you're in there, when you feel it, it's like the difference between listening to something uh, on your iPhone and you know, and being at a concert surrounded by forty thousand people who are screaming and the bass is so loud that it's thumping against your chest. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It sounds like you, you hear the peaceful sound of having no central banker attached to the currency, right? <laughs> I, I think mean, it's going to be a long way before we get there. Yeah, but I mean, I like the I like the idea. You know, it, I'm going to have to buy some Ethereum because I want to buy that NFT of you with with the Jack muscles and the uh, the T-shirt and the microphone. So I'm going to have to figure out how to get into Ethereum that way. I do kind of agree that there's a, uh, you know, you feel like you've upgraded or stepped into the future a little bit when you when you buy Bitcoin and things like that, and you see a trade and you feel your liquidity for the first time and you understand how to right. click the transactions. 
and you're like, ah, okay, I got this now, right? Right. Where two days ago I was in a completely dark closet, you know, about cryptocurrency, and then you step into the light and you're like, well, I can see how it can work. Makes sense. It's cool. So I'm all for it. I want to be, you know, participate in the auction for your NFT for sure. And um, you know, it's just going to be more and more base cases. That the the thing that I like about the NFT is that it's, uh, you know, the logical base cases keep, you know, overturning themselves. I think we talked about it last time. Since we spoke about it last time, I think Mark Cuban announced that he's going to try the NFT, the Mavs tickets, and you know, it just seems like one of the best applications for it. Right. It seems funny. We actually had that conversation literally like like a week before Cuban came out talking about it. Exactly. And so, you know, when you you, those are the things that you can get excited about and feel good about and, you know, almost feel like you're you're hurling yourself into the future with the next generation about. So I think it's uh, it's something that we're going to keep close to close high up on the radar screen, you know, for sure. I mean, I keep saying that Bitcoin is still the best looking chart in global macro. You know, whether I've been a long time bull or, or if I'm just looking at the chart, but it has no, shown no signs of breaking trends so far. So that's exciting for the hodlers. Yeah. Here's my biggest takeaway. Apart from the charts, you know, I've owned a couple of bucks in, of uh, GBTC, the closed-ended fund, the Barry Silbert fund uh, by, by Digital Currency Group uh, for some time now. It's a totally different sensation when you actually control your own keys. It's just a totally different feeling. Yeah, and it's going to be even better when you have a collection of NFTs that you can do whatever you want with, you know, just like your collection of concert posters or pictures right. of you and your friends or whatever it is, right? It's just a collectible thing that'll uh, source its own value out to everybody and that that will have a, that makes a market, essentially. Yeah. So that's the important part. It's a fun time to be alive. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Fun time it's- to be trading global markets. Especially when I get out of this apartment, my final uh, my final vaccine, vaccine number two, two weeks from today. Oh, nice! And you got no horns coming out of your head, no scales growing on your body or anything. Nothing yet. I felt uh, which vaccine felt, did you get? Uh, Pfizer. Very cool. Pfizer. Well, good for you. I wish I wish you luck with that. I hope that it is a fulfilling experience and that you don't get any COVID whatsoever. Yeah. So you and me are going to get some steaks pretty soon. Say when. If I can get one without a vaccine, I'll get one. Maybe we'll have to do it here at my house. I'll cook. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Tony, any final thoughts? Uh, Some of the things that we talked about earlier, I want to make sure that we've uh, closed the loop there uh, because it was a long conversation. I want to make sure that the audience understands ultimately where you land uh, and what the final big picture takeaways that you have on this space. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I like I wrote to my readers this morning when, you know, the bond market is sending a message subliminally to me or overtly on the screen the blow up is sending a message to me and to me that's when i just maybe take a few chips off the table right it's it's sort of the equivalent of being in a peaceful blackjack game and the 600 pound drunk guy that doesn't speak english plops down on the table and he doesn't know how to play blackjack right that's usually when you're like okay we're gonna go to table minimum if we're betting at all here right like let's just get through this period and see what we've got. So I tend to shrug, pull my risk back and stick to only the things that I feel like have been isolated or are the most isolated or the things I can sleep at night with on my pad. And we're going to have to see how the bond market plays out. So since we left off last time, I promised you that the bond market was still in motion lower and that we had not found the top of the range yet. And everything this week, which is two weeks later now, says the same thing to me. So I don't think we found the top of the range. I still think bonds can go lower, yields higher. 
it looks like the dollar can go higher, but that commodities can hang in there with a stronger dollar for now. So we've got to watch for these relationships. And I think the number one thing for the next couple of days is looking for those, you know, hockey sticks and individual stocks where all of a sudden you can tell that there is fallout de-risking from the Archegos blow up. Right. It's elementary, but it's still things that we've got to be on the lookout so that we can then plan our next move, because this rotation right now that's going on the tape makes no sense to me at all. It doesn't speak to me. And it's not something that I'm comfortable long the whole ball of wax index on right now. Yeah. Tony, well said and well summarized. Great job, Ash. Good luck with the NFT. I got to go find that website so I can bid for you. OpenSea.io. Is that what it is? OpenSea.io? Yeah, I'm in yeah. there. I'm in there. I'm buying. I'm going to win that auction for your NFT. That I promise you. <laughs> Tony Greer, thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.